0: Policy Genius helps you find the right life insurance coverage by comparing options from America's top insurers with help from licensed award-winning agents. Secure your financial future with Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com to get free life insurance quotes in just a few clicks. That's
2: policygenius.com. Big cutty on a stonefly my ass. You're pulling a <laughs> maps behind an RC cigarette boat. WTF. <laughs>
3: how can you screw up a fish taco but it doesn't matter like uh, (laughs) i am who i am and i I come from where i come from those are not sandals omg are you
4: dan w from fishing adventures with dan w oh my god Bent. good morning degenerate anglers and welcome
2: to bent the fishing podcast with as much nutritional value as ecto cooler i'm joe cermelli (laughs) (laughs)
3: <laughs> <laughs> i'm miles nolte and i i really have not thought about an ecto cooler since i was in Come elementary on. school <laughs> no i'm serious like that is you, you dusted off some old memories with that wasn't it like just capri sun with ghostbusters packaging yeah that's all it was it was a
2: high c product it was delicious I I see. The, high it was c
3: high c okay okay yep yep
2: yeah Yep. There's probably a million reasons why that's like not FDA approved for kids now, but if they still made it, I'd buy it. I liked it, uh, and they paired you know they paired perfectly with Lunchables. You, know, you and I were of the era when when Lunchables were revolutionary, it's a special treat. You know, uh, you remember, remember ha- when having a Lunchable made you a cool kid? Did you uh, get uh, Lunchables? Yeah.
3: No, God, no. My my, I did not have the mom that was going to give me Lunchables. She's like, I'm making you a sandwich. I'm like, I just
2: want Lunchables. <laughs> I got. I got. have also ended up fishing in destinations so disconnected that Lunchables were the only logical thing to buy at like the one gas station in town. And it comes oh, to yeah. my heart from deep South Texas, and we ate them for four days straight. Anyway, <laughs> uh, these days, <laughs> luckily, uh, it's no longer slimy rounds of mystery turkey that fuels us, though, is it? That's true. Uh, Grown-up Miles and Joe, as well as this
3: (laughs) podcast, are fueled entirely by Black Rifle coffee. There's absolutely nothing mysterious about their premium blends, and uh, there's no strange mouthfeel associated (laughs) with enjoying a steaming cup of their AK Espresso or Silencer Smooth.
2: Uh, Agreed, agreed. And if you want to join the new Cool Kids Club that doesn't require you to buy Lunchables, uh, you guys should head over to blackriflecoffee.com backslash meat eater and get set up with their subscription service or just go ahead and buy lots of bags. And when you're doing that, drop the promo code meat eater to get 20% off your first order.
3: So we actually do get to be part of the cool kids club today, just in a in a very different capacity. <laughs> I mean, all right, well, uh, let's, let's put it in a way. I feel like a cool kid today because we got the legendary and highly respected yeah. Tom Rosenbauer <laughs> of Orvis to agree to hang out with us here at Bent, which is strange and amazing.
2: I I feel like a cool kid because of that. And you and I have both known Tom for years. And I, I still feel like a cool kid when Tom's like, all right, I'll hang out with you for a while. You know, oh yeah. But but he's such a good dude, and he's one of those guys that just exudes angling knowledge, you mm-hmm. know. Yeah. I mean he's, he's written so many books and he's constantly yeah. doing live tying sessions and answering questions. But rather than, you know, harness that wealth of knowledge to make you better anglers, we, we basically just ask Tom to trash somebody is the yeah. plan. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's pretty much Opp- opportunity squandered, pretty much. <laughs> well, we're going we're gonna to reverse the
3: polarity of our smooth moves segment this week. And instead of letting a guide or captain rant about stupid things clients have done, we're letting Tom fill us in on the worst guide he's ever fished with.
4: Oh, why
0: did you do that? Why? Did why I did you do that, Terry? Oh my God.
2: Me. So we're going to do something a little different on Smooth Moves this week. Uh, very happy to have a very esteemed guest with us here, Mr. Tom Rosenbauer, friend of mine and Miles of Orvis fame. How are you, sir? Hey,
0: Joe. Hey, Miles. How you doing?
2: We're we're great. Happy and, to see uh, you, man. Yes, man, and appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule.
0: Well, I'm not that busy. I'm happy to be here.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Come on, man. You got to make it sound like you're working harder. Don't sell yourself out <laughs> oh, like yeah, that. I'm working so hard. you? You have, you have tying videos to make and, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. and uh, for, for the to write. legion. Yeah, for the legions of fans. <laughs> but anyway, normally on Smooth Moves, we have a, a captain or a guide on here. Uh, venting about some ridiculous thing a client has done over the years. And we figure this is a good opportunity to sort of reverse roles a bit because you are a well-traveled man. You have fly-fished all over the world, fished with tons of guides. So today we're going to flip the coin and give you a chance to tell us about the worst guide that you ever fished with, the worst guide story. So you, you have the mic, Tom.
0: All right. You know, it's a really hard one because if you've been in the industry as long as I have, you, you get heads up about bad guides and, you know, typically um, I get, I get good guys. I, I mean, it, it's hard for me to remember a really bad guide.
3: Um, huh? You're so but, much nicer than me. I, yeah, I, 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 no, I respect I mean, that. <laughs> I
0: really, I mean, guides are, I mean, guys these days are so great. Um, I think the most disappointing guide trip i've ever had sean combs sean combs orvis um rod and reel designer who's a uh, one of my favorite fishing buddies and i were down in florida for the btt symposium and uh, we got a a day with a with a uh, guide uh out of miami and so we showed up at the dock at you know like 8 30 which to me is, uh, you know, half the day has gone. Uh, yeah, but, I was going to say, that <laughs> seems
2: kind of late. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and
0: and I hadn't fished Biscayne Bay in a long time. He took us out there, and it was kind of windy and rainy, and he said, uh, do you mind if I, we are looking for a fishing permit. He said, you know, I think we should chum today. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, well, yeah, that'd be kind of fun, you know. <laughs> and ordinarily, I'd say no, but it was a miserable day and, you know, just Let's have some fun. Let's chum and see what comes up. And I think uh, Sean and I caught a, a couple of puffer fish.
4: <laughs> <laughs> that was it. We
0: started to see who could catch the most puffer fish. And then that was over. And he said, boy, it's getting windy out here. And we said, yeah, yeah, sort of. He said, <laughs> <laughs> flat, flat fishing isn't going to be very good. And Sean and I both, you know, we we love to fish. We fish hard. Yeah. I said, well, you got any Places with some ladyfish, you know, or something we could throw to a lady. I like ladyfish. Heck yeah. Yeah. Go to Harbor and throw some ladyfish. And we went and we caught a couple ladyfish. And it was was about 1130. And he said, well, do you think it's time to call it? (laughs) (laughs) And neither Sean nor I said a word. We just kind of looked at each other and uh, said, (laughs) WTF? <laughs> <laughs> what are we going to do
3: for the rest of the day? <laughs> you know? Put in a whole three hours of guiding there.
0: Yeah, and then he he took us in and and uh, we asked him for a restaurant recommendation where we were staying. And so he gave us a, a restaurant recommendation, which was very close to the hotel we were staying at. And to, just to top it off, this was, and I'm not that fussy about restaurants. This was the worst restaurant. I <laughs> How can you screw up a fish taco? And I, had, I had, I had like four margaritas and I swear none of them had any alcohol in it. I kept ordering oh, more to hope that I'd get a little bit of tequila in it. Um, yeah, so.
2: But I, I have to ask though, did he know who you were, like who you guys were and who you were with and what you do?
0: He was an Orvis endorsed guide.
2: Oh, oh,
0: he's wow. no longer. He's no longer an <laughs> <in> orphan. <Orville. laughs> not, not any of my doing, but he's no longer
2: an guy. So I'm compelled to ask, man, when you were guiding, were you one of those dudes that was really hard line about time? Like, not that I've been on many mm. half day trips. And even though I understand that you, you get what you pay for, it's always bothered me a little when it was like, okay, we're done. Even if the action was fire, like no matter what, mm-hmm. you know that dude is back to the dock by two p.m. Not two fifteen, not two forty-five. Two p.m. on the nose, you know. I mean the
3: length. I, I will. Here's what I'll say: the lengths of guide days, at least for me and a lot of people I know, correlate with uh, how enjoyable the clients are to be with. Fair. Let's just put it that. I way. get this. like <laughs> if 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 I was dealing with super obnoxious people who just you know the the, the hours felt like minutes. Yeah. Yeah. We hit the ramp at. 5 p.m. at the latest. <laughs> it was like, we're done. Uh, but you know, if I was enjoying, like if I was having a good time fishing with whomever was in my boat and we were enjoying our time together, we'd just fish and we got back when we got back. You know, it might be dark if the fishing was good. That that's how I always ran it.
2: Well, and that's the way they play it. I think that's fair. You were one of the good ones. And I know a lot of that's that's what a lot of guys do, which should be motivation to not be one of the smooth moves people. Like the story yeah. should not be about you. <laughs> right, Be cool to your guide. And I'm also sure, uh, unlike Tom's guide, you could also recommend a damn good bar. In fact, I know more, you could have. More than one. <laughs> and you know who else can recommend a damn good bar? You folks at home, our dozens of listeners. <laughs> and we have a ringer this week, not even kidding around. Here comes one hell of a thrashing nomination for That's My Bar.
3: Best goddamn bartender from Timbuktu to Portland, Maine. The Portland that matter today's that's my bar submission comes to us from nick silva and i gotta say nick must have had one hell of a freshman english teacher because he seems to have learned rule number one for effective writing know your audience listeners to this podcast have probably picked up on the fact that both joe and i are children of the 90s with particular soft spots for metal punk and hardcore bands from that era Nick clearly picked up on that, which is why he knew that he had to send this submission for June Lake Brewing.
2: Yeah, and I'll just jump in before you get to the description. Like, this one comes with whiplash, like the kind of whiplash that (laughs) a lot of us haven't had in 15, 20 years, okay? But it it inspired me to kick out some old jams, and now my neck hurts. So go go ahead. Can't
3: can't turn your head (laughs) left or right anymore? Exactly. All right, here it is. Here's what Nick sent us. Located in June Lake, California, this brewery is the beer hub of the eastern Sierra Nevadas. Everyone from backcountry skiers to the old fishing guides telling stories about the 21-pound brown trout in Silver Lake are mingling at the bar. If you show up around opening, the server will usually have an alpine Lake fly report for you. He starts his day with a 12-mile round-trip hike up the mountain to fish, followed by beer shots for whoever is at the brewery when they open. Most days, they have a rad Slayer playlist going on. Visit the restroom to check out the Employees Must Carve Slayer Into Forearms Before Returning to Work <laughs> sticker.
2: <laughs> it's so brilliant.
3: <laughs> uh, Nick closes out the email with a photo of that sticker. And uh, and if you want to see it for yourself, which which you should, go to either Joe's or my Instagram accounts. That's at joe.sermelly138 and at watermiles, respectively.
2: And if anybody knows where to purchase that sticker, or how, even better yet, because stickers shouldn't be purchased, they should be free. How Miles and I can get one of those for free? I would just, (laughs) I I would just love to have that because it's like I've always I've been saying it for years. Nothing goes with Alpine fly fishing like war ensemble cranked (laughs) up to eleven. No, that's two things. Those two things fit. (laughs)
3: They
2: don't belong in the same sentence. But that's why this place (laughs) is so great. And I got to say to the the to the brewery owner. good for that he can drink as much beer as he wants because if he's hiking 12 miles a day to fish alpine trout he can do all the tasty like he's not couch tripping so it's not no. gonna make him fat like that's that's terrific
3: I, that's the thing man like even if it weren't for the metal band references with which clearly i appreciated this this one would be able to make a strong case for a near perfect bar for me
2: 100 oh, right, like,
3: fresh brewed beer check backcountry skiing and skiers check fishing guides my people <laughs> Check a bartender who fishes Alpine lakes in the morning and gives beer shots in the afternoon. Done. This yeah. one is like top of my list right now.
2: It'd be worth flying out there just just to feel like I belong for the first time, and because I just it just takes me back to my bar hopping days with the digital jukeboxes where you'd put your money in, but the the queue could be backed up, so you might not hear your songs for a while.
3: Yeah, and yeah, me and yeah. my
2: boys would be in these bars and be like and the Jazz, and then I kick in the wheel <laughs> in the sky, and an hour later. <laughs> Angel of Death would just drop in, but the bartenders could manipulate those digital jukeboxes, and I don't know how many oh, times yeah. the bartender would be like, "And eh, nope," like the whole <laughs> bar would be like, "Ah, come on." So this is this this is where I belong. This is where we belong. But uh, listen, Nick, fabulous submission. You guys have been doing well a done. hell of a job sending us bar nominations, and we appreciate them. Very, very much. Please keep them coming so we can nominate your favorite fishy watering holes. Send those to bent at the meat eater.com. Have you ever been to a Slayer show? Sadly,
3: no. Pantera, yes. Sepultura, oh, really? yes. Slayer, no.
2: Huh. See, I've been to a few, and in terms of mosh pits and just general audience aggression, I, I found the Slayer shows to be completely brutal. And that's, that's yeah. I'm jealous of you. I did not know you had seen Pantera because I never got to see Pantera, but I've heard that a Pantera show was just next level of brutal. Uh-huh. Like it would have made Slayer look like Romper Room, but unfortunately I, I never got to see him live.
3: Chaos, man. Pure chaos. I saw, I saw Pantera on the vulgar display of Power Tour.
2: Yeah. I heard it was like scary. Like, like yeah. even if you were a hard ass metal dude, you're like, yeah. "Oh, dude, Pantera's that their are their shit's scary." It,
3: it was it was next level. <laughs> like there were no rules. You could if you could get to the front, you could climb up on stage and stage dive. Like it, yeah. whatever whatever you were brave enough to do was legit. It was the most brutal mosh scene of all time. <sighs> but
2: you know what else is brutal? <laughs> I have a feeling I do know. Tell me. Yeah.
3: Yeah, Lance (laughs) V. That's what's brutal. But as brutal as I find his inane jabber to be, we just keep getting these questions and feedback about the guy. We do. Uh, The the topic he's covering this week in Trolling with Lance does at least show that he has a human side. I mean, Mm. his, his heart may look like those autopsy pictures of smoker's lungs, but at least he has one. And we know that now. So here's a tender somewhat lifetime made-for-TV movie moment on how Lance deals with the price of fame. From the land,
4: to the boat, to the lake, to the sea, getting up the internet with your boy Lance Reed. Hola, Pertadors. It's me, your buddy Lance V, here to counsel you on your journey to internet fishing stardom. We've been getting a ton of questions from you guys, many of which made me feel so bad for you that I shot Monster Rehab out of my nose from laughing hysterically. But since I consider myself a faith healer, I shall not judge. Keep those questions coming to bent at themediator.com. This week's question comes from Dan W, who writes, that douchebag online fishing troll y'all put on was horrible. Please never do that again, though I'm wondering how he handles getting recognized on the water. As my YouTube channel is nearing 129 subscribers, this is a concern I have for myself. A terrific question, Dan. Part of being a successful internet angler is giving the impression you only fish where the common folk don't. At this point in my career, Indiana Jones couldn't figure out where the f I I fish. But I'm gonna assume you're still fishing in the parking lot of the same county puddle you've gone to for your entire life. So, here's what to do when a fan approaches you and says, OMG, are you Dan W. from Fishing Adventures with Dan W.? Oh my God, I can't believe you fish here. You say, I don't really fish here. I'm just field testing a new lure or rod to decide if it's worth taking the brand on as a sponsor. And this toilet bowl happened to be on the way to the airport. Hashtag business class. Or you can go the nostalgic route and say, I used to fish here when I was a kid. We used to catch seven pound hogs left and right, but I see this place has gone to total shit. I just swung in because I have time to kill before the new Lexus I bought my mom gets delivered to her house. Hashtag word to your mother. In either case, the objective is to make the fan understand you're actually too good to be fishing this spot, thereby inferring he or she is a complete loser. I hope this was helpful Dan and allows you to reclaim the serenity you seek instead of constantly feeling like the guy who played the liquid terminator walking around comic-con hashtag shoot for the moon if you miss you'll land among the stars
3: hashtag that was terrible advice hashtag I can't believe we're (laughs) contractually obligated to have him on the show hashtag let's forget that (laughs) just happened and move on to fish news right now
4: fish news (laughs)
0: That escalated quickly.
2: So I want to kick this off with a few fan shout outs. Uh, Not long ago, I covered a little news piece on the famed mullet toss in Florida, where drunk people throw dead bait fish across state lines. And um, Miles and I had questions in particular. What were the rules for for throwing? And can you say (laughs) craft a slingshot or or trebuchet, perhaps? And as predicted, (laughs) you find people provided the answer. Uh, Frank Williams wrote in to say you have to throw it. But you can throw it however you feel, however you feel, whatever <laughs> feels right to you. What, whatever that fish speaks to you and says, throw me like this. Exactly. And he says, "There's a board uh, at the, at the mullet toss demonstrating the most common ways." I could not find that, but did learn it costs fifteen bucks to throw a mullet, fifteen dollars right. a pop, which begs I feel more like questions. I could do like
3: do that for free in my backyard. I
2: was gonna, I was gonna say, which begs more questions. Like, what if I bring my own mullet? <laughs> You like know what it should I mean?
3: be a two drink minimum, like a comedy show. And
2: then, yeah, exactly. And then and then to follow that up, we got a note from Grant Russell in Australia. So that's now pushing like half dozen Australian fans. And he wrote, I don't want to be one of those one upsman kind of guys, but I thought I'd bring your attention to the tuna tossing event at the tuna rama festival in Port Lincoln, Australia. Because the Aussies are just more manly than, than Yes. I said you would level it up the Americans. Aussies. But uh, apparently, Grant says, uh, they hurl a fake tuna these days, weighing 22 pounds. (laughs) Real tuna are no longer being thrown. I imagine much to the delight of the uh, seafood buyers from Japan who have stood outside protesting the event for decades. (laughs) Hundreds of signs saying, please save the tuna, parentheses, for us. Uh, Uh, Anyway, so uh, let's get into news. And remember, kids, this is a competition. Miles and I do not know which stories the other dude has, and our awesome engineer Phil will declare a news victor at the end. And now I'm scared because for the first time last week we overlapped, we crossed yes, stories,
3: and I crushed you.
2: Yes, you did, and it was traumatic uh, all around. It was a, it was kind of an awkward moment. Uh, I was <laughs> bound to happen. It, it took 12 episodes, but now I'm on edge, especially considering I'm kicking off with a story out of Montana.
3: Yeah, but you got the lead off, man. You're 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 sitting pretty on this one. I know, but do you have a story out of Montana? I'm not telling you. I okay. feel I feel good about my record of overlap <laughs> right now, so I'm okay. just going to hold tight with that one.
2: Fair enough. Fair enough. So um, this is from the website of the Helena Independent Record. Headline. Hold on. Hold Monta- on.
3: Hold on. Hold on. How did you just pronounce our state capital,
2: Helena? There we go. All right. Moving on. <laughs> I said Helena, definitely not Helena. <laughs> anyway, from the website of the Helena Independent Record headline, Montana proposes ban on fishing with drones and remote control boats. First of all, shame on you. Is this what you guys are doing out there? <laughs> uh, no. Big big cutty on a stonefly my ass. You're pulling a MEPS behind an RC cigarette boat. And I've just outed all of you. <laughs>
3: Finally, uh, I wish I could be that cool. No, yeah, no. okay. So I anyway, am very the- glad. So I'm aware of this 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 passage, and I'm very happy about it. For the record, like we can we can riff on it and make jokes, but uh, it it's part of a broader sort of move that they're doing with Montana Fish, Wildlife, and Parks to outlaw drones for fishing, hunting, all kinds of stuff. And I'm I'm all for it.
2: Oh, this is going to be an interesting back and forth then because I have a a slightly different take, and this is why we work well together. So from the story, the state of Montana is asking the public to weigh in on whether drones and remote control boats should be banned for fishing. And the Montana Fish and Wildlife Commission recently advanced for public comment uh, a proposal prohibiting the use of drones and RC boats to place bait or lures, troll, or hook and land fish. Uh, The proposal also bars using the devices to search for fish that are then cast to with a rod and reel. So apparently game wardens in your state have been getting more and more questions regarding the legality of drones and RC boats for fishing. Now, interestingly... The story uh, makes it sound to me like this is a, a pretty sporadic occurrence in Montana. Like, it's not happening that much. However, thanks to YouTube, uh, the methods overall are growing in popularity because there's a you know bunch of yahoos out there doing this mm-hmm. and, and putting it on video. Uh, but the issue is that this is sort of like a gray area within the law. And this is from the story again. In general, laws and regulations contain specific prohibitions against the use of guns, traps, or, quote, other devices – but anglers routinely use devices such as downriggers, right, to place their baits or lures, and an argument could be made that the drones or remote control boats perform a similar function. Uh, and this was given the go-ahead to be open to public comment and possibly leading to a a public hearing. And um, you know, some supporters, as as you've already hinted at. Are saying, well, we have drones outlawed for hunting, which I understand that's kind of cheating to scout a piece of land or, or something yeah. in hunting. There's no they kind need to of – it totally right. cheating. Fair, fair. <laughs> but they need to do it in fishing too just for consistency sake. Like if we're going to outlaw that in hunting, yeah. we outlaw that in fishing. And then um, Clayton Elliott of Montana Trout Unlimited, he's a fan of the public comment because he believes it's just important to, quote, search and find the nexus – between angling tactics and our mission to preserve and protect cold water fisheries. So here are, are a few thoughts, and this is where we're going to have a little fun. Uh, first of all, the Eurocarp dudes have been using RC boats to run baits and and drop bait piles in their swims for years. That's actually not new or a gimmick. Those boats have actually become adopted as legit tackle in that game. Like, you know, some guys can only afford the slingshot. The real dudes get the remote control boat to send their, their, their wad of oats a-fly-in, right? Um, but personally, mm-hmm. see, and g- generally speaking, I, I, I find this a little little hypocritical and hear me out, right? I will never fish with a drone. I will never drag a meps behind a little boat. Neither will you. But in my opinion, like if that's how you get your jollies, have at it. And I say it's hypocritical because if we you want to ban small RC vehicles to what? protect fish. Meanwhile, you got 40 boats putting it at the ramp that have side scan, down scan, auto down riggers, iPilot, spot lock, and real-time bottom mapping capabilities. So point being, in my opinion, if you want to ban technology to sort of preserve fisheries, like ban that shit. We, we all complain about how much harder it is to catch fish nowadays, but like we've we've already given them nowhere to hide. So for me like it's not the dude with the Walmart boat or the radio shack making a YouTube video that concerns me it's the guy who's got more tech than NASA on his ranger. You make a compelling argument Joe and uh and my
3: response is not going to be based in logic. Uh, I'm just tell you that right now. <laughs> okay. Because cuz I can't argue with it. Like all everything you just said is, is totally straight up spot on. But I still am opposed to it and my argument has more to do with how I like my argument has to do with not infringing upon other people's enjoyment of the outdoors. To me, drones flying around the river or the lake are annoying as hell. Like Agreed. it has become somewhat popular on, on, on the trout rivers around here. Guys will be on their guided trip, you know, and the guides rowing them and the, the guy the dudes are fishing or ladies, whomever the anglers are fishing in the front and the back and they have their drone programmed to follow behind them down the river so they don't miss any of their great fishing footage and i find it just highly annoying so for me you're right it has nothing to do with like protecting the fish or conservation has to do with protecting my own sense of what i enjoy being outside and not wanting to hear the whirring of little blades all the time,
2: and, and I and I see that totally, and I we are one hundred percent on the same page. It's funny because having done work where a drone is involved, it's like when the drone is doing the work for you, you're like, "Oh, this is sweet." But whenever you're out there and like a drone flies over you and you don't know where it comes from, I instantly want to like shoot it down with yeah. a shotgun.
3: Yeah, I hate it. I I, I really dislike it.
2: But and, and and you make a valid point. But is that like now you're getting into the argument of do we just ban drones? I mean, you know what I mean, especially. Like uh, if you're talking about the dude with the follow me mode on the river, he's not even using that. It has nothing to do with his fishing or fishing. It's it's it's. So now it's like, do we just his get rid of
3: later yeah. on? I, I would, I mean, On a totally personal level, I would love that. But I recognize that there are reasons why it's not all about me. So I'm in favor of this legislation passing. We'll see if it actually does. I don't think it's going to protect fish. The only way I could see it, it, and, and this is a totally minor use case, and I don't think it would have any impact at all, but just I hate the idea of someone sitting in their truck, sending up a drone, running it up and down, being like, are the fish rising? Let me go check it out. I don't want. To, I don't actually want to walk or put in like the effort to go find them. That's the only thing I can think, of, and I don't think it would impact the fishery at all. It's just again yeah. purely for my own sense of moral superiority and judgment.
2: And for the record, that dude's a chode, and I hate that guy. <laughs> but I, when you're looking at it from like a protection thing, it's like you know, it's hard to spin it in a, like environmental concerns too because. There's a lot worse things that it can end up on the bottom of a lake, river, or ocean than a sunken drone or a toy boat. Like I don't know, outboard fuel and oil yep. and busted nope. off lead. So I, I'm totally with you with the annoyance factor, and like I hate that guy when I see that guy. But it, I I just think it's too hard to skin. Is like this it, this technology is too unfair for fishing. No side scan sonar is too <laughs> unfair for fishing.
3: Yeah. No. I, again, I have no I have no qualms with your logic, and I won't okay. dispute it. I won't. I am going to, however, stick with the theme of technology changing the way we fish and changing fish. All right. So I think this one should be filed under the headline, researchers write paper about phenomenon anglers have known for centuries. Call it a discovery. Okay. The Royal Society, which is a real name for an actual peer-reviewed biology journal, I guess uh, I guess Elitist's Quarterly was already taken. Just published a paper <laughs> informing the world of some breaking news. Fish changed their behavior
2: in response to fishing pressure. You don't say. You don't say. <laughs> <sighs> yep.
3: <laughs> okay. So that's not the interesting part of the story. You know that. I know that. Anyone yeah. who's ever walked past the TV while a fishing show was playing knows that. We've thankfully moved on from the once common belief that fish memories only last for 30 seconds that has been thoroughly debunked. And this new study continues to reinforce what everyone who's ever attempted to catch a fish in a popular spot already knows. But this study didn't actually focus on sport fishing. It looked at marine fish populations' responses to modern commercial fishing practices, specifically how some commercial fleets fly drones around the ocean until they locate large schools of fish then drive boats right to them and wrap them all up in nets. Not cool. It's an, That's not cool. It's an incredibly efficient method of harvest. Yep. Well, it seems that some marine fish populations are starting to adapt to this new predatory pressure. They're not schooling in the same ways that they have traditionally. Mm. The researchers noted fish populations splitting into smaller groups and more fish moving individually or in pairs. And I find this freaking fascinating. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Right. Fish have adapted their social behaviors in order to avoid getting eaten. Like that's, that's one of the main functions of swimming in a school safety in numbers. Right. But, but with modern fishing methods, the fish that school are the ones getting scooped. And the researchers hypothesize that because this new form of human predation selects for fish that are less social, the individual's who are not inclined to school or favor smaller schools are surviving and passing on their traits and behaviors to their offspring, which again, mind boggling. So cool. Do, to me, do, so interesting.
2: Do, do you realize now, what you've just done? Oh, go ahead. Finish up. Finish yeah, up. let me
3: finish the, the long-term implications of this are totally unknown. Uh, schooling fish developed these social traits over millions of years because they've worked. Not only are fish in schools better at avoiding their natural aquatic predators, But a separate study published last month in Nature Communications showed that fish swimming in a school expend significantly less energy because they can draft behind each other. Yeah. So what might happen to these populations if fishing pressure changes their long evolved behaviors? We really don't know. And this could also be bad news for the fishing industry, which is currently relying on those massive, highly visible fish schools to make their profit margins.
2: So what you've just done here is is you've given all like I'll just relate it to to striper guys like I ain't seen a blitz since nineteen ninety five. Yeah, that's why, that's yeah. why right there because they don't school up anymore. No, dude, it it is it is incredibly fascinating that we have hit the ocean so hard that we are changing schooling behavior. Yeah, like we are in.
3: It's it's just. Uh, like, natural selection, to me, I geek out on that stuff. It's 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 amazing to watch. But seeing how human predation behaviors, which are new predation behaviors that fish have never seen before, changing the way that fish live and act is, I don't know. I mean, it's sad, but it's also just really interesting.
2: Well, and I think both of our stories so far, like, they, they tie together beautifully. Like, we're talking about side scan and down scan. These guys are using drones to find fish for commercial purposes. And yep. even that... A drone has made that job more efficient. back in the day, like the day day, dude, the commercial fleets would hire pilots to go out yeah. there and and fly around. But now, even that, I always took it like um the operations that that really had their shit dialed had the money to have their spotter planes and all that. but still it was not everybody was doing that. now, every commercial fleet probably has a drone guy on it, or that that's yeah. just such a common thing, and it's gotten so much easier to do that. It, it it all ties together, man. It's 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 those stories sort of go hand in hand because it's it's all about like, is technology both on the the recreational and commercial side making us too efficient? Are we too efficient at what we can do now?
3: I mean, my, and, my, I, my answer would be yes, yes. But how do you stop yes. that?
2: Right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You you don't stop that, no, and that's that's the frightening thing. Yep. But um, yeah, anybody who's complaining about not seeing the uh, blitzing fish of any kind, there you go. <laughs> Blame the drones. All things it's all come all back, back, to back to drones.
3: To the drones. <laughs>
1: The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself, and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash eater. You ever get that feeling you're stuck inside, staring at screens, and a primal urge kicks in? You crave wide open spaces, fresh air, the chance to connect with the land? Well, maybe it's time to find your own piece of the wild, but searching for property can be a maze. That's where Land.com comes in. They got millions of listings across the country, from mountain ranches to hidden fishing holes. Their search tools are like a seasoned guide helping you narrow down what you want. Land.com isn't just about buying and selling. It's about finding a place to hunt, fish, explore, or simply sit by a campfire and listen to the crickets. So head over to Land.com today to turn one day into today. Because trust me, there's nothing quite like the feeling of standing on your own piece of earth. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on FishingBooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids with over six thousand captains and trips to choose from planning your next one just got a whole lot easier download the fishing booker app on the google play or app store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today
2: So I'll move it from schooling fish to very solitary fish in what I'd classify as like a weekly world news style story. However, it's just from Yahoo.com, which is essentially the same thing. Um, headline, fisherman discovers ugly, frowning, human-like fish, colon, quote, it was looking at me. <laughs> so this happened in Thailand, and the, st- <laughs> and the, story, uh, the story says fisherman Prasert Shukul, caught the unidentified pale fish, which had massive human-like lips and bulging blue eyes. To make matters even creepier, the creature appeared to have a shocked expression after it was captured. <laughs> so this fish weighed 2.7 kilograms, that's six pounds in American numbers, and was 42 centimeters long, that's 17 inches in American numbers. Schukel mm-hmm. said it was dead by the time he had returned to shore. So I'm going to throw a shot of this up on uh, my Instagram story today. But, but basically, this is a squat fish that's all mouth. So picture an angler fish or a monk fish. If you know what those look like, it's similar to that. Huge mouth, small body. Now, this dude caught this weird fish in a crab trap. And homeboy says, I almost threw everything back into the water when I saw the scary fish. It was looking at me, and it had a face like an ugly, frowning human. <laughs> it had big lips, but no teeth. Nobody knew what this creature was in our village, including the elders. I did not dare to cook it for myself or anybody else. So what the hell is it? Well, a local marine center uh, visited Shukul to examine the fish, and they believe it could be a Policaris fish. It would explain the horrifying expression, Policaris bury their heads in the sand with their mouths open to catch tiny fish. But I instantly recognized this as something completely different. In fact, I researched Policaris fish, and I got zero hits, man. Like, that seems (laughs) to not exist. So either Yahoo has a typo, or marine biologists in Thailand have no idea what the hell they're talking about. Making
3: up new fish. Right.
2: It looks to me instantly like a lighter, paler, skin tone version of the northern stargazer. But there are many kinds of stargazers all over the world, and they make up the Uranoscopidae family. And some of them can actually get up to 40 inches long. And like stargazers, no doubt they're ugly and weird, right? But I don't really think it looks that much like a human. You've seen no. the shot. Like, it doesn't. No, I'm
3: looking at it right now. Yeah. It, I, it like, doesn't, it's frowning, but it doesn't look yeah. human.
2: That that part's sensationalized, but catching it in a crab trap makes sense because they do spend most of their time buried in the sand or mud, and just their eyes are sticking out, so they don't move much. They don't they don't chase stuff. And I've caught a, a handful of northern stargazers over the years, but it's rare, and it's always in the surf when you're you're just sitting on a chunk. You just have a clam or cut bait sitting out mm-hmm. there, dead sticked. Right? They don't fight. It's literally like reeling in a paper bag full of sand. But stargazers are both venomous. And can give you an electric shock. No way! Right? So they have spikes on their gill gill plates that, that'll dose you up. And if you step on their head, you get shocked. And I've gotten that shock. And it is not pleasant. And while they don't have the wattage of, like, an electric eel, right? It's one of those, like, spine-tingling, I don't even know, like, like, like pit-of-the-stomach barf feelings you get when you, like, stub your toe real bad and, like, break your yeah. toenail off. It's just like... Ugh. like as soon as it happens you know like you're just out there swimming with the kids and you're like ah oh, like you know what i mean like it's just like so i've i've experienced that and that's relevant to point out because schuyl gave the fish to the wildlife center fearing it could bring him bad luck and i i'd have been more concerned about the venom and the electric shock than the luck but that's just me so that's Good what you got him. there schuyl
3: smart move it's a, it's a not star, eaten, star not eating star
2: no, actually, I read that they are delicacy. Like the venom, once you cook you them, apparently, the venom the, the, get away from the, yeah. the toxicity the venom and the electricity, apparently, they're great. The venom is apparently neutralized uh, after hmm. you cook them. I don't know anybody around here who eats them. You don't see them very much, but they are strange. And the ones we have here are very starkly modeled, black and white. Huh. Actually, a very interesting fish. I,
3: so I gotta give you a lot go. of credit on that story, Joe. That that I mean, I still want to win, but the fact that you took like the sensationalized headline, did your own identifications, we're like, nah, the biologist got it wrong. I know what that is. That should have cool, been a man. fin
2: clips. Like I could have saved Stargazer for fin clips, but it can always got it come back. News. It can always yeah. come back. Yeah. Um, yeah.
3: I have no good transition from that into what I'm going to talk about, <laughs> other than you talked about a fish, and I'm going to talk about some other fish that live okay, on a great. different continent right? More specifically, I'm going to talk about some fish that live on on this continent in our greatest waterways of all, at least freshwater waterways. All right. So back in 2017, there were a few different studies published that showed mercury levels in Great Lakes fish were holding steady or in some cases rising. And some of you might be thinking, duh, everybody knows the Great Lakes are like this polluted wasteland. Didn't one of them like catch on fire or something and yes (laughs) that used to be the case but uh but if if you're up on on kind of contemporary happenings the great lakes represent one of the best examples of conservation success that we have in this country ever since the passage of the clean water act uh the waters and fisheries quality of the great lakes has improved exponentially lake erie which was considered a dead zone That that was a term that was used, a dead zone for aquatic life in 1970 is a thriving ecosystem now. And and you see that trend all across the lakes. Not only are the fish back, but the levels of pollutants, mercury included, are low. How low? Well, according to Sarah Jansen, a research chemist with the U.S. Geological Survey, we're seeing some of the lowest concentrations of mercury in waters and sediments that the Great Lakes have ever seen. Hmm. So that begs the question. Why are the mercury levels in the fish not going down? And that's what Ryan LePak, a researcher for the National Science Foundation, is trying to figure out. The short answer, according to Lepac, is invasive species and ecosystems changes. Though the lakes now have far fewer pollutants, they are home to many invasive species like sea lampreys, alewives, carp, zebra mussels, and gobies. And those last two in particular might explain this, this conundrum that we're looking at. A single tiny zebra mussel will filter gallons of water a day. So, Mm -hmm. so they're, they're like little miniature pollution magnets. And there are millions of those mussels. That could be a good thing since the vast majority of native fish in the Great Lakes don't eat zebra mussels. They could be sequestering all those pollutants and, and taking them out of the food chain, except for this other invasive species, small fish called gobies gobies do eat zebra mussels and just about everything eats gobies so what's happening is that the remaining pollution in the system now has this incredibly efficient pathway right into the food chain according to lepak another factor that helps explain why we're not seeing a drop in mercury levels in fish is that the great lakes are both cold and hospitable that means the fish grow slowly but they can live a really long time Giving them lots of years to, to to build up their mercury deposits. The takeaway here is actually a positive one, even though it, it doesn't sound like it at first. The Great Lakes are much much cleaner than they used to be, and and while the levels of mercury are remaining steady in the fish, and that's concerning, the levels still aren't so high that you shouldn't eat any anything that lives in there, right? Like fish lower in the food chain, perch, whitefish, they have they still have relatively low levels of contaminants. Bigger fish like lake trout. They can still be eaten safely. You just want to limit your consumption to one meal a week and, and you know, don't bring them as an appetizer to a baby shower, right? <laughs> Long term, if we keep the lakes clean, the, these fish will eventually flush out too. We just haven't got there yet.
2: Well, this, I mean, this one kind of hits home for me because I've spent a lot of time on Lake Erie in particular. I love fishing out of Buffalo Harbor. And um, I only know it as having been cleaned up, but you hear all these stories from the old timer about just what a sludge pit That lake was for so long. And this is very interesting because zebra mussels in particular, this highly invasive thing that that nobody wants, but also nobody can deny how much they've contributed to cleaning up Lake Er (laughs) Erie. Yeah, exactly. Right. But I mean and and knowing a lot of guys that fish there, you know, it's like it's always a trade-off. Like they've affected bait fish migrations and and so it is a trade-off. But um that is fascinating because you're like, yeah, so I get it. These mussels are making themselves a little concentrated mercury ball. Yeah. And the gobies, dude, when you go up there to fish, I don't care if you're lake trout fishing, smallmouth fishing, most of the time you are trying to imitate a goby. Everything like needs you to gobies. You, you go up there with a brown tube, brown, little purple, little little blurple, blurple yep. tube up there. Mm-hmm. Niagara River, Ontar- Lake Ontario, anywhere in Lake Erie, most of the time you are trying to imitate a goby. Yep. So good on these guys for figuring out that connection there. Um, and I, I don't really know how to expand on it other than to say, like, boy, like yes, for that that does make a lot of sense. Because every one of those muscles is just like a a tide pod of of bad shit. <laughs> that is essentially making the entire leg cleaner. <laughs> but, but i gonna- actually most guys will tell you the gobies are a worse problem than the mussels. they'd much rather have yeah. the mussels and get rid of the gobies
3: yeah you know? i mean we, i could go there's a hole other the rabbit hole i would go down with the gobies replacing other forage base and why that's an issue i'm not i'm not going to get into that because we just don't have time and, and that wasn't yep. the point of the story but i found that one really interesting to say you know we have this conundrum what the lakes are cleaner why aren't the fish cleaner and and the fact that that someone has possibly they think figured it out that that one was another one i, I had two stories today that i was like wow that's really interesting i hope yes. that everybody out there is as geeky as i am and find that as interesting as i do um we we both did so, well this week
2: and i i don't know who's did. gonna win i don't I'm either pleased. phil
3: Phil, you have your work cut out for you, and and you know what? If if I lose this week, I feel like I went down swinging, and I will still feel feel good about myself. It's not like it's not like one of those weeks where you tanked and you come in like ah, oh, I don't have it. I, I feel good. I think we both came with the heat this week.
2: And if you so, lose this week, you're going to lose twice because as soon as we hear from Phil, we're moving on to our our second installment of, of awkward <laughs> moments in angling. I took a beating compared. I was compared to Joey Buttafuoco last week. This week, uh, I got some pictures from Miles's mom, and we're going to have a little fun at his expense.
4: Wow. Um, great showing from both of you. You guys really brought your A-games this week. Unfortunately, uh, this is just too close for me to call right now. I mean, we've still got a ton of votes coming in from Maricopa County, and Georgia is looking like a real nail-biter, so stay tuned. Actually, on second thought, I will just give the crown to whichever one of you makes Lance V. a hanging chad.
0: Why don't you take a picture It'll a longer? Ah, 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 ah.
2: So paybacks suck. And now it's my turn to shame Miles. This is our second installment of Awkward Moments in Fishing. And here's the fun part of the photo I'm about to describe, right? By itself, it's just kind of a cute family shot. But once you learn that this served as the Nolte family Christmas card in 1988, yes. which I have come to understand, it yes. levels up a notch. <laughs> and since it's a family photo, one has to get a sense of all the characters. And and you, you sir, will have the chance to tell me what I got wrong at the end. But, but what's fun about this is I get to paint my perception of your past in this moment, and then you get to tell us what I... Totally have inaccurate.
3: I can't so, wait to see how you, you do a psychological <laughs> breakdown of my childhood through this photo. Let's see, let's see I did where we we'll land. I add.
2: did my best. I enjoyed this. This is a this is a fun I, I enjoyed this very much. So I'm gonna start with eight-year-old Miles, who is rocking a full-on Canadian tuxedo. Mm-hmm. Though you lose a few points though, because the gray stonewash jean jacket kind of clashes with the classic <laughs> Lee Dungaree blue jeans. So like it's all denim, it's just not cohesive <laughs> denim. Okay, points reearned, however, for the reef style flip flops because you're not one of those kids rocking the sandals with the built-in ankle braces like most kids wear. But minus one more point for having the cuffs of the jeans rolled up way too high, like that's like that's the jean cuffs are rolled way too high for a young man that's weak. Uh, and the entire on, ensemble. I
3: just gotta say, particularly at that time of life, those are not sandals; those are slippers, or better yet, is that slippers. what you call them? Yeah, yeah. No, you don't Sli- call them sandals in Hawaii; they're slippers. This photo was taken in Hawaii? It was not taken in Hawaii, but it doesn't matter. Like, uh, I am who I am, and I, I come from where I come from. Those are not sandals.
2: Okay, fine, fine. You got one jab in. You got, okay, that's okay. Here's the thing, though. The entire ensemble is complemented by a life jacket, but it is not just any life jacket. Much like the Titanic, I'm sure somewhere on the original tag it was touted as the unsinkable life jacket. Okay. Which, in fairness, would have been the one that my mom bought, too, all right? It's crafted from the same dense, rigid, non-bendable, gloss-coated foam they use to make headgear for people training in martial arts or those prone to seizures. So if you can picture that shiny, glossy foam, that's this life jacket, all right? Now, Miles' dad has his arms around Miles' shoulders, and he's horizontally holding a largemouth bass that I'll say is, I'm going to say, what, four or five pounds? You tell me. Yeah, yeah, it was right in that five-pound range. Okay. He's holding it right in front of your face, but you're not looking at the fish that is inches in front of your face, nor at the camera, but rather like awkwardly off to the side as if young miles had just seen the ice cream truck, like round the corner <laughs> or something. So you're totally not engaged in the photo. All right. Now, uh, your dad is is owning the member's jacket only he's wearing, okay, light gray, like a champion. And I'm not even gonna poke fun because that he's straight varsity, right? He's also <laughs> wearing some choice aviators that, to me, look like they were real pilot aviators. Like they weren't the knockoff Ray-Bans I used to buy at the flea market. Okay. And uh, your dad finishes off with a blue hat that I would wear all day at president. Subsequently, some hipster would pay 50 to hundred bucks for on eBay. And dude, I've zoomed in and I cannot tell what it says, but it looks like a beer brand to me. I thought it was Pabst at first, but maybe you can tell us. Miller Lite. That's a Miller Lite hat.
3: I'm almost positive. That's a Miller Lite hat. Cause I think it's, I, 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 I'm not looking at the photo right now, but he wore that Miller Lite hat all the time fishing. So I'm assuming it's the same one.
2: Okay. Well, anyway, you've said in this podcast previous, your dad developed video games for a living, but based on just this shot, I put him like eastbound and down as a long haul trucker who likes playing pool and knows how to wield a cue when shit gets ugly. All right. Oh, hold on. I'm sorry. I screwed up. That is,
3: oh, I can't believe I messed this up. That is a point logger hat from Stevens okay, Point, was- Wisconsin. And, and okay. no, no wonder you didn't notice that or know what that was. Cause it was a very niche brand from that part of the country, but that is a point logger hat. No question, hands down.
2: All right, so we got clarity on the hat. We can move on to your mom. And she's just like so cute and momish in this shot, like clean compared to you two ruffians. Stark white shirt, striped denim skirt, and like a scuff-free pair of keds. Perhaps they were keds. My mom wore keds. Yeah. Um, And I think I know what she's thinking because I have similar pictures with my mom. She's playing along for the picture for your sake. She's encouraging of your fishing, but gets super pissed when you use the good cutting board to whack up a walleye. (laughs) And God bless her for letting this be your Christmas card what did I get right? What did I get wrong? Oh man, you were pretty much spot on that that whole way through. Uh,
3: what what you you don't know is that I'm like actually kind of pissed off in that photo because Dad's getting a hold of fish, but I'm not, and I'm like, oh. we're, we're, you know, I'm eight. I'm like, that's no fair. I want to I want to be holding the fish in the in the Christmas card. And and I was even more pissed because because I did have what I thought was a picture worthy fish that was caught that day. I had you know a northern pike that in my mind was 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 a dandy. It was nothing compared not Chris- to that bass. Not Christmas card dandy. And, it wasn't. And, and I I know there are other photos that I made people take of <laughs> me holding the fish, but my fish photo, the photos of the family with me holding the fish, did not make the Christmas card. Oh no, no no, just the one with with Dad's big bass. And uh, and and Mom was not happy about the whole thing. Ever becoming our Christmas card. Now, in the moment, she didn't know this was going to be the Christmas card, but I do remember this being a point of contention <laughs> that uh, that our Christmas card being sent out to all our genteel and polite friends who didn't care at all about fishing had to see my dad holding a giant dead bass. So that's pretty much uh, that's pretty much what I got for you. You did you did well, sir.
2: Well, that was a great awkward fishing moment. And uh, to all the fathers of, of young children out there, okay, don't let this resentment breed forever. Let your kids <laughs> hold their own fish. <laughs>
3: They'll never, never forgive you for it. All right, that stung a little, but uh, now that Joe (laughs) has taken his lumps and awkward fishing moments, and I have taken mine, it's only fair, it's your turn. I'm talking to all of you out there listening. It's my duty to remind you that my picture can now be seen on my and Joe's Instagram pages. That's at watermiles and at joe.sermeli138. But we want to put your terribly awkward fishing photos on our pages as well. We've already gotten a few, but keep them coming. Send them to bent at themeateater.com, and you might get to be burned by us on this podcast.
2: We hope so, at least. We want to burn you. But uh, let's keep <laughs> making people feel awkward right now, though. Uh, we've had our good friend, DOS boat alum and badass guide Tim Land, we're on the show before. Mm-hmm. But this week, we're going to try and rattle his brain with trivia where categories include flea market junk and horrible cinema.
0: you got to be highly skilled for these fucking shows. You understand that? Yes, I do understand. Are you well-versed there? Are you very smart man? Yes, I am.
4: All right.
2: In the hot seat today for trivia, my good buddy Tim Landwehr of Tightline's fly fishing company in Green Bay. What's going on, Tim?
4: Not much, Joe. How are you doing?
2: Good, man. Now, Tim and I met on the set of season two of Das Boat uh, this past summer, And um, I learned a few things about you uh, after spending a few days with you that have helped me tailor today's trivia questions. And uh, the first one of those things that I learned from hanging out at the fly shop is that, uh, like me, you are a collector of vintage tackle.
4: A bit. A bit. A a bit.
2: Okay. Okay. Well, all right. You don't sound too confident, but you do have you do have. (laughs) I got a bunch of it. Yes, I got a bunch of it. Yes. So just having it there, I assumed you were an expert. So we'll see how this goes. But -hmm. you have two awesome cases of of vintage flies and reels and all kinds of cool stuff there in the shop that I was just very interested in. So our first question today is going to uh, see how much knowledge you have of the things in your case in a roundabout way. So are you ready to play?
4: Yeah, let's
2: do it. All right, here we go. Question one. In 1930, Charles Pfluger finally received a patent for his medalist fly reel after submitting the design two years earlier. Since fly reels already existed, the granting of that patent meant that Fluger's reel was designated as unique and different from other reels out there. So which of the following was a key feature of the medalist that earned Pfluger the patent? A- Did it have a real foot that would universally fit on any brand of fly rod? B, a real handle that rotated around a post instead of remaining static as you cranked? C, a revolutionary paint finish that inhibited rust? Or D, an ornamental round line guide built into the frame? One of those things earned Pfluger the patent for the medalist in 1930. Let me
3: think on this. Pressure's on Tim. Pressure's on. I don't I don't like it. I don't like (laughs) it at all. Was the finish.
2: So you're going with C, it was a revolutionary paint finish that inhibited rust. I'm going with that. Yes. Ah, that is incorrect. What? The answer is D, an ornamental round line guide built into the frame. Oh.
4: I had no idea, but I
3: was totally gonna guess that one if it were me. Were
2: you
3: really?
4: I I would have thought the finish. Because I had a, I had a bunch of friends that redid the click and paw on the inside with brass and things because they were some of the first saltwater reels that they actually had used. Yeah. So you I know, thought maybe the finish on the outside was kind of a key feature to that.
2: I thought long and hard about the fake answers in that. So good on me. But they changed it in 1952. This is according to the Internet, right? So they have the rectangular line guides. And if you remember the old metalist, mm-hmm. like now that line guide's built into the frame, those were screwed in as a separate piece. This and, is true. And um, I, as I read it, as it turns out, the um, the, the round line guide went away because it actually proved inefficient. Like as more people started chasing bigger ah, stuff than trout, like it didn't lay right, line as nicely right. as a long rectangular guide. So point being with that, for all you uh, dirt mall and, and flea market, people like me and I think Tim on occasion like you like <laughs> oh
4: yeah yeah I do some scrounging
2: medalists are a dime a dozen right but you see yeah. one with the round line guide for two bucks in in somebody's box of wares buy that because that is the valuable one. Nice. That,
3: that that'll get you on antiques roadshow <laughs> every time.
2: There you go. Exactly. Okay. <laughs> so moving on to question two uh here's another thing I learned about you that I love you, um, you have a, an ability to reference obscure weird movies, and here's how this came about. During the shoot, we were cutting up fish with the uh, Benchmade Meat Crafter boning knife that the yeah. meat eater made there, and the entire crew was talking about this knife, and your contribution was, I I, I, I want the knife, and I was like, did he just <laughs> drop a reference to 1986's Golden Child starring Eddie Murphy?
4: I I, I did. <laughs> and I was like,
2: holy shit, we can hang. So I got the impression you were at least somewhat well-versed in weird and or forgotten movies. And I'm going to change up the, uh, the, the format of this question a little bit here. Okay. I'm going to okay. give you a chance to answer without the multiple choice. And if you can get this without needing a list of answers, you will not mm-hmm. only win the nothing that's already up for grabs, Ooh. but I will double the nothing and toss in a one-year subscription to the nothing if you can hit this without needing multiple choice. I'm counting on you, man. Like I like we're kindred spirits here. So here we go. Okay. In which film is the excuse for a destroyed living room that one of the main characters was attempting to free the mounted mahi mahi hanging on the wall.
4: Oh my God. I don't know.
2: I don't know. Come on, Tim, please know that we're already like brothers.
4: Do you you that. What about Bob?
2: No, no no but he would have done that without answering miles do you know it sadly no oh you're you're, you're on an island i am with sorry this one, i'm a sad
4: disappointment God, i quit damn oh. it.
2: all right i'll give you the multiple choice then was it a the son-in-law b and man c Biodome, d the godfather, <laughs> godfather part two
4: now now i know part two. <laughs> Was it uh, the first one? Was it father-in-law?
2: No, the son-in-law? Or no, son-in-law, rather.
3: With, it wasn't with with have,
2: have you never seen Biodome? I've never. Dude, we talked about
3: Biodome, and I've not seen
2: Biodome. You need to go to uh, Blockbuster. Tonight, uh. come on, man. It features one of my favorite quotes of all times. What do you boys want out of life? To die and come back as a leotard.
4: <laughs> I, I i promise you joe that is on my that's on my movie list tonight it is tonight.
2: exceptional cinema and the next time i see you we better be able to go back and forth <laughs> on the biodome i
4: feel so left out on that one damn it
3: We are about out of time here on Bent, which brings us to our end of the line segment where we run down a lure or fly or bait we think you need to know about, or just know more about, because we said so. Damn right. Yeah. It's like parenting. This week, Joe is going to try and support a claim that wiggly rubber beats wavy hair when considering criteria to determine the most versatile lure ever made. You be the judge.
2: Uh, Fishy, 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 fishy. Well, that's not loud enough, Bert. Way back in 2015, I penned an article that made a fairly ballsy claim. For generations, the plain white bucktail jig has been largely hailed as the most versatile lore ever made. Matter of fact, white bucktails were once included in the ditch bag of every naval airman and rumored to be part of survival kits within other branches of the military. Now, I certainly can't take anything away from the Bucktail or its versatility, but what I wrote was that there wasn't much that could challenge that versatility until 2002. That's the year that Storm gave the world the Wild Eye Swim Shad. To understand the power and the glory and the ingenuity of the Wild Eye Swim Shad, which most people just refer to as Storm Shads or Stormies, One must examine the swimbait market in 2002 and the years just prior, okay? At that point in history, there were really only two swimbait options for consumers. You either paid a hefty price for custom swimbaits mostly coming out of California, or you bought the cheap rubber ones that were pretty stiff and rigid and needed to be rigged on a jig head for proper delivery. Now, years ago, I chatted with Steve Gibson, a product engineer at Storm, and he explained that the Wild Eyes sort of split the difference. They came pre-rigged with an internal jig head, which meant anglers of any skill level could just tie one on and cast away. Unlike many cheaper swimbaits of that era that were solid colors or two-tone at best, Storm created lifelike patterns with foil inserts more akin to the custom stuff that the Cali boys were doing. But perhaps most critical was that a bag of Stormies did not break the bank. They were affordable to all. Aesthetics and cost aside, though, the Storm Shad just plain caught fish. Lots of fish. And in pretty much any type of water you wanted to throw one in. And I still genuinely remember the first pack of five-inch Storm Shad I ever bought. Mullet pattern, to be exact, which is still my favorite today. And I grabbed them at the Fisherman's Supply in Point Pleasant, New Jersey, before hitting a local jetty and positively crushed stripers that evening, high hopping a storm shad off the bottom in the inlet as the tide flushed out. Now, Gibson told me he truly realized the potential of the storm shad in those early days when he started getting calls about people using three-inch freshwater models to tangle with massive tarpon. And not long after the storm shad's release, they were in pretty much every big box and -and mom-and-pop tackle shop in the country. If you just cast and reel a storm, you'll catch fish. But there's almost nothing you can't do with this lore. Hop it, crawl it, jig it. Hell, in times of extreme desperation, I'll admit I've even trolled one. And as long as that paddle tail is thumping, you're in the game. Though I may not have to catch fish to survive, I do feel stranded and very afraid. If I'm fishing without some stormies on hand, particularly in salt water. From the Louisiana redfish backcountry to the striper surf of the northeast to the oil rigs of the gulf, storm shads have saved me from lots of skunkings. And in many cases, just proved to be more effective than the rest of the lures we were chucking. Now, of course, one could argue that a storm shad is even less durable than a plain white bucktail, which is accurate. So maybe if you were genuinely going to wind up stranded on an island, okay, you'd want that bucktail. In that situation, personally, I would rather have a Metal Hopkins or Castmaster that's even harder for barracudas and such to mangle, but we'll save that argument for another end of the line.
3: So that's it for this week. You now know where to find drinking paradise if you can tie delicate mayflies while listening to Raining Blood, how to ruin (laughs) a warm Christmas greeting... With a largemouth bass and the Tom Rosenbauer, the great Tom
2: Rosenbauer drowns his fishing
3: sorrows in weak
2: margaritas. As per usual, we'd like to remind you guys to keep those bar nominations, comments, criticism, questions for Lance, awkward photos, and sale bin items coming to bent at the meat eater.com. I Just reading, I think, just listening to that, like we just keep adding things we want. Pretty soon it'll be send your social security number, copy of your passport. I'm kidding, of course. But we do love hearing from you guys very very much.
3: We do, we do, and we hope you're getting out to fish this weekend, not binging Paulie Shore movies.
2: And remember, keep only what you intend to eat and as for the rest of it,
4: free mahi mahi, free mahi mahi if you will.
1: Hey, we're going to take a little break here and talk about interstate batteries. Now, if you're like me, enjoying the great outdoors, you need gear that is as reliable as it gets. That's why I power my adventures with interstate batteries.